it's a it's a privilege to be here and, and i'm assuming since uh we're just off the heels of the time change that i have till dark so let's jump right in it tonight let's jump right in it tonight and we are in galatians chapter 3 on october 31st 1517 a monk from germany nailed what would become a world changing document to the door of the church in wittenberg he had become increasingly convinced that the church he had devoted his life to was corrupt and had perverted the true gospel. There had been a tipping point specifically with this monk, and he had held to the belief, as others did and as others would have in the monastery that he was in, that if he kept the rules and did what the Bible said, he was in a right relationship with God. But as he continually devoted himself to the things of God, he increasingly found that he was absolutely incapable of keeping the law so much that he had no joy, no peace. And it's, it's documented that it often, or that oftentimes he would say, when asked, do you love God? Love him. I hate him. At times, he said. His spirit was restless in him on a perpetual basis. But wonderfully, that all changed when he stumbled upon a little verse in Romans. Romans 1.17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This was a reference from Habakkuk. This shattered this monk's mind as he meditated on it, as he thought on it, as he contemplated what it meant. And I'm sure by now, as wonderful reformers that you are, you have deduced that it was Martin Luther that I'm talking about, who would then go on to be a major mouthpiece for the Reformation that would sweep across Europe and reclaim the scriptures from the then corrupt Catholic Church. You see, the primary issue that Luther had with the Catholic Church is the same issue that we have with any group, as we've been talking about on Sunday nights, that tries to add anything to the gospel, whether it's my works, whether it's performance, whether it's anything, Christ plus anything, as Jay so well put it in his Starbucks coffee demonstration, does not cut the mustard. Martin Luther came along and said, no, like I just said, it is not Christ plus, it is Christ alone. And really, out of the Reformation, we know that the five great solas were born. Solas, not in the sense of solar or sun, but sola just meaning alone. Sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. And that just means that the Bible alone is our highest authority. The second one, sola gratia, grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Sola Christus, Jesus Christ alone is our Lord and Savior and King. Sola Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. We live for the glory of God alone. And the one that we're particularly going to touch on tonight, sola fide. It's by faith alone that we are saved. We are saved through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in that one that we're going to spend just a few moments 
looking at the scriptures. So turn with me, if you're not already there, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And Pastor Dave just mentioned that we are going to be in verses 7 through 9. I might not look like it, but I'm a little athletic sometimes. And I'm going to scoot back and get a running start. We're going to start back in verse 6, because really verses 6 through 9 have to do with Abraham. And the whole point of what Paul is making here has to do with Abraham and how it relates to this section. But before this, let me just say, as I was studying this this week, looking at it, I looked for a little bit of additional help, and I stumbled onto a John MacArthur sermon. And shockingly, it was a little bit more in-depth than what I was thinking. So I listened to it a couple of times, kind of really got in my mind what he was saying. And we're going to kind of use his outline. I didn't swipe it. But I'm just saying, for full disclosure and for transparency's sake, we're going to, some of what I'm going to say mirrors the emphasis that he was just putting, I'll say that. But the, the text that, he's, that he used is, um, some of them were mine. But anyway, now remember the whole point as we're looking at the book of Galatians is about Paul refuting the Judaizers. And just in case you don't remember, these Judaizers that are mentioned here in the book of Galatians, are actual believers, but they're Jews. Remember, when the church first got started, who was it made up of? Jews. It was made up of believing Jews. And as Gentiles slowly were being transformed by the gospel and being brought in, the question arose, what we have been looking at. Do they need anything additional once they have confessed Christ? And we saw in chapter 1 that Paul is that he is just floored that they have so quickly abandoned the gospel of faith alone by grace alone that he had preached to them. And what Witt was preaching on last week here in verse 1 where he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you under some kind of a spell? Have you forgotten so quickly what we talked about and what the very nature of the gospel was? He is shocked. A gospel that is not faith alone is no gospel at all. In other words, we've been saying that one is made right or justified is the theological term, not by keeping the law and not by circumcision, which is what they were wanting to do and what was discussed at the Jerusalem Council in Acts but rather by completely and fully relying on the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And we do this according to the last solo that we just mentioned, by faith alone. So remember, what we saw last week as we got into chapter 3 is that Paul is shifting gears. And really, in the six chapters of Galatians, in chapters 3 and 4, he's really going to start building his case for this doctrine of by faith alone we are saved. And last week, Witt talked about the first five verses. He appealed to their experience. Surely this isn't what you have experienced. Surely you know that it, nothing was required after you believed, that it was simply by Christ. Is that what you went through? Paul said no. And what's really neat is that beginning here in verse 6 through 9, our section tonight, he's going to... And throughout chapters 3 and 4, as we lay the groundwork, he's going to talk about references and make his argument 
from Scripture. And the first one he comes along and starts talking about is one of their heroes who they would have used as an example that, well, you know what, look, he kept, uh, he would have, he kept the law, he was circumcised. These things need to be done in addition to simply faith. And what's really neat is that Paul is going to use the example of the man that they would use to make that argument and say, no, if you really knew your Old Testament, you would know that's not the case. You would know that Abraham was not made right or justified like we looked at last week by any of his external works, but it was simply, as verse 6 says here in Galatians 3, that just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, that was it. So it's really neat as we begin and as we're going to look, and beginning in verse 7 and following, he's going to say the people who are truly Abraham's sons, because as Jews, this is what they took stock in. This is what they took and based their confidence in, their genealogy, their race. We are Abraham's sons. We'll look at a passage in just a moment, John chapter 8, where the Lord himself is having this discussion with the Jews. So once again, he's primarily starting off in our section appealing to their experience, first of all, in verses 1 to 5, and then in verse 6 and following, it's going to be the argument from Abraham himself. Well, let's look very briefly. So the main point, once again, that Paul is going to make in these few verses is that not only was Abraham not justified that way, but all who are truly Abraham's sons are not justified that way either. Get your, if you don't have tabs, that's all right. You'll have points deducted, but get your thumbs ready and flip back to Genesis chapter 12. Because in verse 8, this is actually what Paul is referring to and what he's referencing when at the very beginning, God calls out from among a group of pagans, a pagan himself, a Gentile pagan, to start a nation of Jews. Genesis chapter 12. He calls Abraham. This is the Lord saying. Now the Lord, in verse 1, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And here's the key, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I just love, and MacArthur had said this in the, in the sermon, the insanity of what the Lord is saying, so to speak. How many children at this point in Abram's 75-year-old existence does he have right now? None. And the Lord says, I'm going to take you... And from you, you and Sarah cannot have children. I'm going to bless everyone. But it's cool how he used the word, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. If someone cannot have children, if someone cannot have a family, the Lord uses this, I think, intentionally. He draws him in. Abram is given this promise. And what does the next verse say? Three words in verse 4, so Abram went. He obeyed. He acted 
upon that. Flip over to three chapters, Genesis 15. This is where God makes his covenant with Abram. Verse 2, a little bit of time has taken place. But Abram said, or back in verse 1, Fear not, Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Verse 2, But Abram said, O Lord God, (coughs) what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. I still don't have any kids. And if it goes the way that it's it's set up right now, everything that I have, my heir will be this son of one of my servants. Lord, I want to believe you. I still don't see anything. And just look at the tender nature of the Lord. And Abram said, Behold, you you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. I love how they just took a walk. The Lord said, calm down. Let's go out. And it's, he. what does he do? He takes him up and he looks at the sky. Now around here, around my house, you can see some stars. Uh, If you go out further where there's less light, you can see many. I'm thinking that as the Lord would have drawn him outside, he would have seen a lot. So the Lord just withdrew him and said, Abram, look up. Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. He knows you can't. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And that's where verse 6 occurs. Once again, he still doesn't have a son. He still doesn't have an heir. There's nothing from a physical, fleshly, human perspective that should give him this hope. But God puts his spirit in Abram here and gives him this hope with the faith where he believes the Lord. And what does it mean to believe? It just means to trust. It means to do the very thing that Adam and Eve did not do at the beginning when they believed the serpent who thought that God was withholding something from them. And he was not. The Lord tells him to look up. And once again, in spite of the fact that he does not have one child, the Lord says that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And that's it in verse 6. What Paul is going to say, and what we can see here, is has Abram, Abraham been circumcised? No, because that's going to come two chapters later in Genesis 17, and many years later when he's 99. Does it have anything to do with him keeping the law? No, because it would be many, many centuries before the Mosaic Law would even come to pass. So the way that Abram was justified and the way that we're going to see in just a moment that all are justified is by faith alone. It's not by faith plus anything 
about it. Turn, turn to Genesis 22, just a few chapters. Because not only was that promised son foretold, but as the Lord promises, as his promises never fail, Isaac finally came. And it didn't come without uh, Abraham trying to weasel around and make the promised son come on his own in Genesis 16 with Hagar. So it wasn't because of his acts of righteousness per se, in the slightest. It wasn't because of that, once again, or circumcision or the law. It was by faith. And I would add, it was by the faith that God graciously bestowed upon him and gave him and ignited his heart to believe. This is one of my favorites. This is, this is a favorite story. I, I don't want to get exaggerate here. Uh, this is the sacrifice of Isaac. The promised son finally came. And what does the Lord ask him to do? In Genesis chapter 22, he said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering and on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham trusts by faith alone. Would this be considered a test of that faith? From every point of view, I would think, least of which a father and a son. Just think about the emotions that would be going through. Lord, you finally gave me the promised son, Isaac, seeing him grow up, seeing him mature. And one day, the Lord asks him to literally sacrifice his son. And then in the next number of verses, it talks about how Abram rose early in verse 3 and in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men and with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of, of which God had told him. On the third day, the third day, the third day, where have I heard that? Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I heard Stroll talking about this the other day. I just happened to hear his sermon on this. Don't think that he was just saying that he was just living by faith and be like, oh, I know God's going to take care of it. Baloney, he said. He said, we're going to go up there and worship. He had no idea what was going to happen. But what he was convinced of, as we'll see just a little bit in Hebrews, is that God was faithful and that he was not only going to be faithful to him as a, as a father to his son, but faithful with the promise that he had given him in Genesis chapter 12. And verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, by this time it's dawning on him. It's just he and Abraham walking up. My father, here. And he said, here I am, my son. 
He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son. Just think of the emotions as he's doing this and as he's going through. And not only what's going through Abraham's mind, but what's going through Isaac's mind. He's being bound. He's looking up at his dad. Verse 10, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. It's easy to read that in like a a second. He was going to do it. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know what? That you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. But look what he called it. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Brothers and sisters, it's real easy at certain times of life to be obeying the Lord, to be following Him, to know without a doubt that you are in the will of God and neither from the left nor the right is is there any indication of hope coming when you are in a tough situation. It is so difficult. But what does the Scripture say? Praise the Lord, it says, He gives more grace. So very, very simply we can see that Abraham was not justified by faith But once again, or he was justified by faith. Making sure you're paying attention. Don't drift yet. Got a couple more minutes. We're going. Um, He was justified by faith alone. This morning, it was read in our text, the account in Luke. But the heart of the Pharisees was so distorted. It was so twisted that by the time the Lord came on the scene and John the Baptist in Matthew 3 When he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, he's able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. They had put all of their stock in the fact that they were physical descendants of Abraham. And that's all that mattered. And John the Baptist, and both the Lord, if you'll turn to John 8, as we'll read just a couple verses. When he has an exchange with the Jews, it shows their corrupt heart. And while you're you're turning there, one of the saddest things, by the way, is when people think that there's such a dichotomy and difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. God has been the same throughout. 
What was it always a matter of in the Old Testament? Your heart. Love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The Lord echoed that in Matthew 22, did he not? The, the Lord was just when he brought down the judgment on Uzzah, and he was just in Acts 5 when he brought down the judgment on Ananias and Sapphira, even though from our perspective, my goodness, I thought this is the age of grace. That's a little tough now, isn't it? Very quickly, John chapter 8, when the Lord himself is talking to these Pharisees, or to these Pharisees once again, to go with our verse of verse 7, that it's by faith, those who are of faith are the true sons of Abraham. The Lord says in John 8, beginning in verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That seems like a very kind offer and a very kind invitation. And instead of receiving it, what do they do? They put up a wall, and pride is exuded, and it says, look what they answered him. We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you will become free? As Pastor Dave's been preaching in Exodus, Jews were enslaved for quite, quite a while. It's easy for the sinful heart to have a short memory. It's easy for all of us to forget the history of grace. And it was they themselves had a very distorted view. Just skip down to verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Once again, who are, do you know who you're talking to? We don't need to repent because that's what John the Baptist was doing. He was calling for a baptism of repentance. Don't put us in the same category as Gentiles. We're Jews. We don't need to repent. We're Abraham's children. The Lord said in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. What are those works? Of faith. You would be trusting me. You, you would be trusting God. You would be looking for the one whom God has sent. And as it says in Hebrews with, um, with Abraham, even if Abraham was so convinced about the fact that God would keep his covenant and keep his promise that even if he would have killed Isaac, the text in Hebrew says, he was convinced that God would raise him from the dead. That's how confident he was in God's promise, and that's how true he was in his faith. Did he buckle at times? You betcha. But don't we all? Look at verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, Jesus says, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality, a slight on his origin. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And look what he says in verse 44. Lest there be any doubt. You think you were of Abraham? You think that that is where your confidence lies? You think you're a true descendant of Abraham? 
I tell you something different. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. In that one sentence, he nails them. And it builds to the fact throughout the rest of the chapter that they continue to put their confidence in the fact that they, from a family tree perspective, just came from Abraham. And the Lord continues to tell them that they missed the whole point. Here, the Lord Jesus is directly saying that those who are truly Abraham's offspring are those who exhibit the same faith that Abraham had. It is not simply because they are ethnic Jews once once again, as verse 7 in Galatians 3 says. Paul echoes this in numerous texts. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Also later in Romans 9, 6 through 8, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So now both Jew and Gentile, when the Lord told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that out of you will come a new nation, it was not ultimately finalized in just an ethnic sense. It's you and me, brothers and sisters. It's the fact that he has grafted us in like Paul talks about in Romans 11. The kingdom is comprised of all of us. With that in mind, let's flip back to Galatians chapter 3, and, and we'll wrap it up. Once again, verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, of Abraham, and you could just insert the true sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And oftentimes you'll see scripture be a euphemism for God that scripture, for, scripture had said that. Verse 9, So then, the conclusion of all of this, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Can you think just immediately off the top of your head, any blessings that you and I have in Christ? It's all of them. Remember, when you're talking to someone about the gospel, Never forget, don't give someone false comfort if they are not in Christ, because that's all the difference in the world. In Christ, all of my sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. I am with him. I am secure. I have no judgment before God. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation, how? In Christ Jesus. Someone who is not in Christ, has no guarantee. The, one of the places that always comes to my mind is all things work together for those who what? 
love God and are called according to his purpose, for you and for me, everything that we go through, both painful and good, has a purpose. And he's weaving it into this beautiful tapestry of our lives. But for someone who is not in Christ, there is no guarantee. Just wrapping up, one final thought on the story of Isaac, and in particular, the location where he was going to be sacrificed, thinking about that story. The text says that it was on Mount Moriah that both Abraham and Isaac went up for this to take place. I heard Sproul in a sermon on this text the other day say this, and we're finishing up. But listen, this is a paragraph. This is really good because I didn't say it. Anyway, Mount Moriah, where is it? According to current archaeology, Mount Moriah was a place in the south part of Palestine that later was changed, and its name was called Jerusalem, or Mount Zion. The historic place where Abraham offered Isaac is now considered to be the site of the Dome of the Rock in the old city, Jerusalem. 2,000 years later, on this same mountain, God took his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, Jesus. And he took him to that same mountain, and he fastened him to a vertical altar of sacrifice. But this time, ladies and gentlemen, nobody hollered, stop. God brought the knife into the heart of his only begotten son, fulfilling in blood, in time, and in space the promise that was dramatized and symbolized by the test of Abraham's child of promise. Where God prevented it with Abraham and Isaac, the Lord fully took all of the punishment for all of the sin for everyone who would ever believe. And there is no double jeopardy with God. That is the comfort that we have. Because he bore our sins, I rejoice in him. As we finish, let me just ask you a question, dear brother and sister. Are you relying on anything of yourself to get you into heaven? Anything. Or, like Abraham, are you relying solely on the faith that he has given you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Not only that, but are you walking through this life by that same faith, simply trusting God and His Word that He will accomplish for you that which He has promised? It can be so easy to doubt, like, we, like I mentioned a little bit ago. But what we experienced this morning during music and during worship is just a foretaste. Everything we have now, those beautiful moments that in the entirety of my week can be like this, <laughs> oftentimes, that fragrant aroma of the knowledge of him in every place that a saint gives, and especially when we meet together, is just, the fore, is just a foreshadowing. In the same way that everything in the Old Testament was a foreshadow of the substance of Christ, in the New Testament, even now, brothers and sisters, as we finish, we live by faith, and we cannot even begin to imagine how glorious it will be 
when we see him face to face. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so grateful for your grace and we are so thankful for your love. Thank you for the fact that as Paul is continuing our study in Galatians and as he made the case that Abraham was not justified by faith, all us who are his descendants, whether Jew or Gentile, have been justified simply by faith alone. And Lord, let us trust you in the same way that Abraham trusted you when you gave him that promise that through him all of the earth would be blessed. May we trust you no matter how impossible things or circumstances can be at any given point in our life. We love you and we praise you and we thank you so much for granting and giving us the faith that will usher us into eternity one day and see you face to face. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.